Hello, horror fan, best friends, and ghoulish knights, and welcome to the sixth episode of Murders with Mertens. This is a podcast about horror, sci-fi horror, cosmic horror, body horror, the horror-adjacent thrillers, the supernatural, the psychologically terrifying, scary films in general. Each episode, I intend to sit down with a guest and discuss one of their favorite scary films so that we can gush about everything that makes it just so damned cool. Viewers, new and old, thank you for tuning in to this fledgling podcast. You can provide some much-needed support of this little endeavor by subscribing to the channel, liking the video, and dropping a comment below to keep the conversation going. Maybe share an episode with someone you know who loves this particular film. It's all greatly appreciated, uh, but I don't want to waste any more time in introducing our guest this evening, Freddie Nudie. How the hell are you? Oh, I'm uh, doing really good. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, I've been looking forward to this all week, so I'm really excited. <laughs> Well, I have too. I, I think we both have uh, quite a bit of love for the uh, for the film we're about to talk about tonight. But before we get into that, uh, Freddie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm one of the co-hosts of a, a little small podcast called Nightlight, a horror movie podcast on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Uh, besides that, I'm just a big movie lover. Um, you're catching me at a really good time because I'm riding off a high of South by Southwest. I just got back from that, uh, do a little bit of movie reviews and, um, work other full-time job too, but trying to make the, the film industry, make that the full-time job. But I have a huge background in movies, love talking about movies. So this is like home for me in this situation right now. Um, but yeah, I have to say the horror genre is probably my favorite genre of all time. I think that's where the great storytelling comes from and the very important stories that need to be told in the world and overcoming the horrors of life, right? In reality, we overcome a lot of stuff, and I think the horror genre really is very cathartic in helping us grow and develop as humans and being able to be the survivors of our own stories. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it is so cool to have you on. I've been a big fan of Nightlight since you guys started that uh, little endeavor, and uh, it's been so much fun to watch you guys grow. It's uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, you've been amazing, oh, Joe. You're great. Uh, just uh, really appreciate what you folks have been doing, and uh, yeah, like I said, it's been really fun to see you all grow. Uh, well, tonight, uh, you know, speaking of horror and uh, what we're here to do, uh, tonight's film is 1979's Alien, directed by Ridley Scott, written by Dan O'Bannon and Ronald Shusett, uh, with production design spearheaded by the late great Swiss surrealist H.R. Giger. Uh, I should have my favorite collectible ever, the uh, Giger's Alien book, somewhere handy. Oh, that's but, right. Uh, yeah, man, his production design for this film was just over the top. And he and uh, the other production design team, they uh, won a freaking Oscar for this film. So that's uh, rightfully so. Yeah. This is a great movie, great set pieces, great costume design. Everything looks fantastic. And it holds up very, very well for such an old movie. Oh. God, yeah. There was so little that I had to nitpick about the actual production of this, actually, you know, going back and watching it uh, shortly before the podcast here. And I think there's like a little bit of really bad ADR here and there. But other than that, this film just holds up incredibly well. Yeah. Um, you know, all the matte paintings and miniatures and everything else that in some films, especially when watching them back in 4K, uh, just, you know, all the flaws are present, right? 
but yeah. uh, not so much in this one. Uh, there's very, very little to nitpick. Uh, so, Freddie, I know this is one of your favorites. What's your history with the film? Yeah, I mean, Alien is something I kind of grew up on. It's one of my favorite films of all time, too. I, I always say that, especially during the Nightlight podcast and stuff like that. Um, I think it's probably within my top five. And it's something I revisit a lot, at least maybe once or twice a year. Um, but yeah, it's it's a movie where, before I even got into the horror genre, it's something that really stuck out to me, where we have such great characters and great chemistry, and the cinematography is really great, just great framing shots. Uh, but the story is just so enticing, and it just draws you in immediately, where it's just pretty much... Um, and it's really funny, because I feel like I can connect these three movies I fall in love with, which is Jurassic Park, The Thing, and Alien where they kind of all have that same type of theme and rhythm as well as like, all right, there's a predator that's really, really good that's picking off a team of people one by one. And I think I, I always love the tagline in space, no one can hear you scream. It's a very isolated horror film too, kind of like The Thing, which is also in my top movies of all time, yeah. where I think just all the characters, they are very well thought of and you kind of get a little bit of the character background of each and every single one of them and you care for them as well and i think the big one for me is like the set pieces of this movie everything does look gorgeous everything is completely thought out uh really scott is a fantastic director and like we were saying earlier is that this movie does hold up very very well and i think there's something to celebrate with that yeah. i think this movie is very timeless uh, this was like my gateway horror film within the genre before I knew that that genre was going to be my favorite of all time. Uh, this is before I even became a cinephile. And it's just a movie that, yeah, I just fell in love with. Yeah, well, you know, for me, it, I want to say that this and Pet Cemetery and mm. maybe one of the Critters movies were on like heavy rotation at slumber parties when I was a kid. And, you know, talking like late 80s, early 90s. And uh, Alien just sucked me in. And I remember getting my mom to buy like a copy on VHS from the local video store and almost wearing the sucker out to the point where I'm sure my folks were just absolutely sick of me watching this movie. Um, and you know, it's sequels too. Um, I, I, I remember, uh, making my dad take me to go see alien three in the theater. Um, I'm sure he had absolutely no desire to see the film, but you know, I would have been probably about 12 or something like that. Uh, so I certainly wasn't going to that one on my own, but, uh, yeah, just, just poured over these films and got so sucked in. And the Dark Horse comics from the 90s were so much fun, too. Mm. Uh, some of them continuing the story, some of them just going on and uh, spinning their own tales. They were a ton of fun. Uh, and then you mentioned the characters in this film, but this fucking cast. I mean, cast is fantastic. I mean, first yeah. of all, you got Sigourney Weaver as Ellen Ripley, and this was like her big break, right? Uh, yeah. And she's like the quintessential final girl in this, of course. And then Tom Skerritt is Captain Dallas and John Hurt is the war doctor. I mean, Kane. Um, and then uh, Ian Holm as Ash. You have Veronica Cartwright fresh off of um, uh, what's the film? Uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm. Uh, 
Yeah, that was uh, she had that one-two punch between right. this and Alien, and then uh, you thought Kodo as Parker. He had been a Bond villain just a few years prior, uh, and then Harry Motherfucking Dean Stanton as Brett. Uh, God, it's just this cast can't stop. Yeah, and they work so well together too. Like they oh, bounce God, off yeah. each other's energy so well. And I love how this movie kind of opens where we don't even get our main character until like 30 minutes in. And I think that's a very important part of kind of as a viewer to connect with everybody, not just one person, and to set the stage of actually caring for every single person as well. So I think that was a very smart move. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, um, oh, God, Uh, in some ways, sort of like Jaws in that you hardly mm-hmm. ever see the shark and you get the terror from that. But also it just gives you such great focus on really your main three characters of the film and just their interplay that by the time they're on the orca at the end of the movie and they get to that wonderful um, scene about the uh, USS Indianapolis. Uh, oh God. It just, it all, it works. You believe that uh, these are people that are actually playing off of each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's dope. Um, So speaking of the beginning of the film, when you dive in this title sequence with the, the piecing together of the bits of iconic. Yeah. And um, it's just, just that slow build of dread with the score and everything. Um, That, that's one that always gets me every time. And it's uh, often imitated, uh, rarely duplicated type of intro to a film. And this is one of those movies that does one of my all-time favorite types of things. Um, the text on the screen, just at the very beginning, mm-hmm. with the ship slowly coming up behind it. Uh, the Nostromo. Uh, Crew 7, cargo, refinery processing, 20 million tons of mineral ore, of course, returning to Earth. And it's all like lowercase and it's single quotes because this was all done in the UK. And <laughs> it's just that lovely setup of um, we're just going to you know, drop you with the barest amount of context into this film. We don't even give you a date. Uh, or anything Mm -hmm. it's just very clear this is the future and it it works on that aspect too because they don't even show a single character for a good chunk of the uh, opening sequence you get a lot of the technology and the sound bits that we are going to hear throughout the movie and stuff like that too it it has such a good way to do world building without giving too much exposition Yeah, environmental (laughs) storytelling and all that great sound like you said uh, very very iconic audio so iconic that they brought back little blips and bloops from this film Mm -hmm. in underwater a film which is clearly inspired by this uh but yeah it's like five minutes before we get any of the characters other than the ship itself it works uh, because we learn about the environment that they are gonna future wise uh survive in which is great. Yeah, that slow track through the corridors. You know, you kind of wonder, is this a POV shot? Uh, and it's almost teased because the camera even bangs into some stuff on the bridge. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they they did fully for that. So I, yeah. I'm very curious as to what the hell that that is. I really doubt it's the cat. <laughs> because if the, That's cat, true. if the cat were loose during all this time, I mean... <sighs> I, I don't think that cast cat would last very long, you know, they, no, I don't buy well, it. There's a theory that the cat is also an Android. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, that's 
actually kind of possible. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I feel like the cat is likely in a cryotube with one of them or, you know, I'm sure. Yeah. It's, it's a weird choice, but you know, you get the, you know, finally the camera settles there on the bridge and it's just this cool little back and forth between the monitor and then the seat with the emergency helmet above it. And all of a sudden yes. things spring into life and you get the transmission and it's all just a lot of, uh, you know, text on the screen and stuff that you can't really read too easily. Uh, it all just pops off. And then we go back to fun tracking shots, right? Um, as we head over to, you know, the, uh, the chamber with all the cryo tubes, uh, you get that cool whoosh of, uh, you know, the pressure differential causing the, you know, the right. dust of air and the robes and all that and uh, the slow waking of the crew. And I don't know if this is significant or not, but, uh, you know, Kane being the first to wake up and is the first to, you know, but uh, I'm just going to throw that out there. I don't know if that's a little tease of things to come or what. But I mean, uh, possibly. I feel like a lot of stuff, like you were saying, with, like, the camera movement is very intentional. And I think maybe in the beginning is to have the viewer be immersed, like you are a passenger on this ship as an observator. Um, but even this, this room in general, I'm like looking at it right now as I'm playing the movie while we're talking is gorgeous to look at. You believe that this technology is realistic and believable and how it kind of like fades into the character waking up and you feel like they've been asleep for such a long time. Again, it's like telling the story rather than, or I mean, showing the story rather than telling us, which the exposition is so great on this. Yeah. That's something we complain about in so many films, you know, come on show, don't tell and right yeah that makes sense and like you said everything looks so believable the uh like the glass that's you know the the lids mm -hmm. of the tubes and everything it doesn't look like super fakey this is you know a prop in a sci-fi movie everything looks just so over the top lived in and just real um so let's see here uh we move on to their little, uh, it's not exactly breakfast, but their first right, meal. Their meal. Yeah. And, uh, we've got space beer. Uh, that's, that's oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Necessary. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's the official Whalen Utani brand beer. Uh, mm. yeah. sounds delightful. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I feel like this film is also, there's much discussion, you know, about, the different themes in this film and what this film is allegory of and so on and so forth. But you know, one thing that just smacks you in the face right away, this is all kinds of big commentary on all sorts of levels of working class folks and yeah. their bosses and ultimately the giant mm -hmm. mega corporations that keep them all under their thumbs. Um, you know, which for, I love that they oh, tackle yeah. that kind of subject and stuff like that. I think the main reason why I love the alien franchise too, is the evil corporation Wayland Yutani. Uh, which we don't get a lot of context in this movie, and I kind of like that, that it kind of serves a purpose for the sequels. But I, I just love movies that have big, bad corporations. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I'll bring back Jurassic Park again with InGen. It's kind of yeah. like almost the same thing, too. Uh, the thing doesn't really have that, but there's a lot of big stuff like Blade Runner uh, has that kind of stuff as well. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's always been like one of my favorite things. And I love the promotional stuff they did with the, the newer movies like Prometheus, where you can like um, yeah, the TED apply talks and all that. The TED talks, yeah. you can yeah. apply to the Wayland Corporation. 
Um, the world building is really good, and I think even the small hints of what this company has uh, done in the past or what they can do in the future and the, the amount of power they have over their employees is a very important factor of how everything gets played out. Oh, yeah, and it comes back again and again throughout the series. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, I, we get to this point here in their little opening spiel where um, it's time for Dallas to speak with Mother, which mm-hmm. uh, I always thought it was something retconned later in the continuity, but no, you can see it on a panel. You know, when he goes into that hallway with the, um, you know, the punch card and everything else, right? It's actually M U hyphen T H hyphen U R, right? It's the name of the system, but yeah, it, God, I've had many, many copies of this film over the years, you know, starting with, uh, you know, well-worn VHS, uh, going Mm -hmm. on to probably a letterbox VHS, a DVD. I've got the Blu-ray over there. And then I bought the 4k, uh, for, Mm -hmm. you know, five bucks on the Apple store and holy crap, this 4k looks great. Even a streaming version. it, It looks just outstanding. And the audio quality, I mean, I'm picking it's up top notch. Yeah. Little stuff that I have never seen or heard before. Like when yeah. Ash tells Dallas, uh, when you hear the little alarm going off and Ash tells Dallas, Oh, Hey, mother wants to talk to you. And Dallas makes the comment about the, the yellow light, meaning it's his eyes only. And I right. don't ever remember hearing that. It was so oh, wow. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah. They did a good job with the 40th anniversary edition with the 4k release. Um, I agree. Everything does look very detailed too. Where, like you were saying, like in older movies, when they get restored into a 4K format, sometimes it picks out bad stuff in the background that we couldn't see before. But everything looks crystal clean in this movie. And it's a little fun fact about myself. Uh, I have my Apple TV uh, nicknamed Mother. So every time I airplay, it's Mother. <laughs> that helps me out, which is really funny. Nice. I love everything about Alien. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it shows. And that's cool because it's worth loving this. Uh, you mentioned mm-hmm. this always being in your top five. Yeah. Me as well. It's always in the top, uh, tiers for horror and definitely in top five vil- films of all time for sure. Um, so Dallas, you know, stops on the bridge just to kind of survey things with his coffee, uh, goes down the hallway to, you know, pop into the, uh, chamber for the interface for the computer and he's just like, hey, what's going on? And we find out um, they are not exactly at home yet. They're Mm-mm. in the Zeta-2 reticuli system. And yeah, they've been woken up uh, because they got a message. But uh, before we get some of those details, again, we've got Parker and Brett working in the basement. They get paid significantly less than management and they complain about nobody associating with them. Again, big commentary on the working class versus Mm -hmm. the middle management class versus the massive corporation all told. I love it. I love it so much. And I just love their back and forth. Those two, you can tell they've worked together forever. Um, so again, it was like me and my coworkers yeah. talking about our managers and then talking about the corporation. I was like, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Understandable. Uh, so bad news. They're still far from home. Worse news. Mm. We've got a side mission. Worse news. You got to do the side mission or you don't get paid. So again, them being completely under this company's thumb. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 43 years later, because this film was in 79, this movie is as old as I am. And this landing Ooh. sequence that they go through just looks as good as it probably did when it was originally on the silver screen. You know, all the little computer overlays and everything just going through space before even working through the atmosphere and just their coordination with each other in this scene. Again, you can tell this is a team that has worked together multiple times, you know, with one exception, but they get into that later. But um, yeah, it still works. And yeah, space looks completely cool. And I, I know behind the scenes of how they were able to do it, but even like the detachment scene of them mm-hmm. going down just looks fantastic. And I don't care what people say, even the Christmas lights under their ship looks cool as well. Um, but yeah, no, like everything is believable. And like I said, it still holds up very well today, which is hard to do with that type of technology. I feel like they were ahead of their time. Yeah. Um, even like the way they have their radar to know like the turn of the ship and how close they are to the the moon that they're about to land on. Everything just makes sense and it just works very well. I think because, you know, it's all practical with the exception of some, you know, matte paintings. I think that really, really, uh, you know, helps this to age well. You know, it's like talking original Star Wars trilogy versus prequels that, you know, the Mm -hmm. effects often look not good when it's up res to 4k because mm, some of that stuff is just dodgy as hell. Right. Practical uh, over everything, if possible. That's yeah. why the thing still holds up, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And why the CG in the prequel looks like hell. Mm. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, so taking a cue from Star Trek, the slightest disturbance when they bump something causes sparks and smokes <laughs> and panels to explode. Um, which, I mean, I guess I, I can see happening as, you know, circuits get overloaded and stuff like that. But... I don't know. Maybe it's just me. They have all this, you know, computer generated topography that they're looking at. I, I would have tried right. to shoot for a little bit smoother landing area, you know, especially one that didn't necessarily right. have mountains all around around them. them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But I agree. They, fu- they fuck up a landing gear and they have a couple hole breaches and there's some debris that's kicked up inside. And, um, we go through quite a bit of back and forth about the repairs and so on. Um, so they cut back to uh, Parker and Brett uh, back in, you know, I'll keep calling it the basement because that's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically the engineering level. And it's like, Oh shit, the boss is coming to inspect our work. It's, it's like this universal thing that even if you're great at your job and you know, your boss knows you're great at your job, you still yeah. hate them being all up in your ass when you're getting your job done. Right. It's, 100%. You just, you want to be left alone to get your job done, but you know, Ripley's coming down to see what's going on. Uh, and then we also cut back to, uh, Kane and Ash and, um, Lambert and Dallas all clustered around a monitor, then, you know, checking out what the atmosphere looks like and all that. Mm-hmm. And I, I like their little discussion about, um, you know, how it's like primordial. It's like, this is, you know, a world that's barely begun and, you know, what could possibly hear. And meanwhile, Lambert's just chain smoking off in the corner because, you know, she's, she gets very flustered quite often in this film, but uh, yeah. I, I would say she's just a little stressed out and, you know, they decide, okay, it's 
within, you know, 2000 meters, you know, it's a couple of kilometers. Okay. That's walking distance. And they right. nervous laughter from Dallas there. Um, but, uh, I, do you find it kind of surprising that the top two in command go on the away mission? A little bit. Yeah. So that's one of the big things It's like, and that's where like maybe the first time watch here, very interested in seeing like, why is Ash staying behind and stuff like that too? Uh, there's little clues of what's actually going on. Uh, but the nice thing about this sequence in general, I kind of like how you touch upon when they like land, it's very rough. Uh, I feel like that sets the stage of what they're about to like overcome. It's like something that's supposed to be so easy and part of their mission. Mm-hmm. Chaos just comes out of nowhere. And what's outside the door of their safe haven just a treacherous storm that's keep on pounding them and you can't visually see anything. And they're already in the, I would say like maybe even the jaws reference of like open water and not knowing what's really out there and having them talk was like, Oh yeah, what could be out here? It's probably nothing. Um, but yeah, I agree with them two both going out there. It's very interesting as like yeah. characters and stuff like that. I guess they want to be the forefront leaders to, eh, to I don't know, accomplish. Right. Yeah, and then we get that little bit where we our first little hint that something is not quite right with Ash. He's uh, yeah, you know, changing into a new jumpsuit, and he like pauses, kind of glances back and forth, and does this quick little run in place thing that just it could almost be brushed off as he's a little chilly and he's trying to warm himself up or something like that. But it just it feels so off and it's so weird. Um, Mm-hmm. I completely what? agree with you with Ash in the sequence in general when they're all outside they're like hey can you see us and stuff like that um, he is someone knowing what he really is uh, he has so much emotions in one scene where he's he's like smiling he's waving uh, he's getting up he's doing weird stuff I feel like he's practicing imitating what could happen out there so when they mm-hmm. come back he can react the right way where it's not very naturalistic he's like practicing in a way yeah, but that's how I take it. No, that makes sense. And in some ways, that's kind of retconned in uh, later films, like with uh, the David Android. Uh, right. You know, how he's constantly trying to practice and imitate. Um, uh, God, what's the Peter O'Toole film? Um, Lawrence of Arabia. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He practices using movies, which I love that. That's mm-hmm. a thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so they, they take off on their little excursion and we keep going back and forth between that and, uh, you know, the repairs going on. And, uh, I got, I I gotta say, um, it's gotta be a giant pain in the ass trying to do these repairs in almost pitch darkness in the engineering level. I mean, where's all the damn lights? Uh, (laughs) so this is the thing, and I mentioned it earlier, but it's bothered Mm. me for over 30 years watching this film. And it's like the biggest black mark that I can possibly give this film. But this is like the worst ADR in film history. When, uh, Parker and Brett are shouting back and forth over the, uh, steam with Ripley. And, uh, she's like, you know, okay, Parker. Yeah. You'll get whatever's coming to you. And right. It's just, it doesn't fit the mouth and it just, it sounds so unnatural and it's really weird. I don't know if that's supposed to be the steam kind of cutting over her dialogue, but I think it's just really bad ADR more than anything. It could be. Yeah. I think with the audio, um, 
the scene might be too loud for like the actual microphones for the actors to come through properly. Because mm-hmm. I do agree, it feels a little off-putting and it doesn't work too well. Um, I do like the line itself because it's kind of like portraying what's happening to him in the future. More foreshadowing, uh, it's like you, absolutely. Yeah, it's like, you're going to get what's coming to you. It's like, oh, I know that line. It's kind of like, I'll be back. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to be back. Yeah. But exactly. you know, I think it's one of those uh, funny moments, too, where you bring up the social commentary where kind of like the AKA basement, uh, those people who are like on the lower part of like um, the work totem are often left in the dark and not knowing actually how to work um the job that they're supposed to because they're not given that much direction they're just expected to do everything so i feel like maybe that's a nice little um comparison of them working in the dark always or we also do get a fun little hint that ripley is kind of one of those fun bosses because she's definitely the boss that can tell her people to fuck off uh (laughs) and 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 they can mess with her too 100 percent like Absolutely. they just turn off the steam and they're just laughing. He's like, "Oh shit, it's actually broken," and he turns yeah. it back on. It's like, "All right, that's cool." So then we're back out in the storm, and you've got uh, the trio uh, having their fun little bickering as they're trying to get through all the, you know, wind and smoke and all the other shit that's blowing around them. And you get Lambert's fun little "I like griping," uh, you know, like we talked about how lived in and how, um, you know, very very. Um, I don't want to say family like, but you know, this team definitely has worked together and everything. It's like these little bits of real life levity. Um, You know, this film gets that like nobody would be dead serious in this situation. There would be little quips here and there because of course, you know, you're out in a fucking spacesuit in this horrible storm and it's almost pitch black. You can't see anything. You're probably scared as hell. And of course you're going to make little, you know, little jokes, jokes here, here and there. there. You have yes. to. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise yeah. You're, you're not going to make it. Um, so yeah, then, then we get another weird thing here where, uh, Ripley's little back and forth, uh, with Ash about, mm. uh, Hey, any luck with mother deciphering that transmission? And he's like, nah, she's she's working on it, but you know, nothing yet. And she says, Mind if I take a crack at it? Right. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the zipper computer that runs the ship, but you're gonna take a stab at it. Okay. I think it's you more know. so her trust against Ash is uh, maybe common, I think. I don't think she trusts Ash from the very beginning. Yeah. Um but yeah, yeah, it's it, it's a little weird. But yeah, you're probably right. It's more of a, you know, inspect what you expect that type of thing. Right. Um, and then here we go as we go back to the trio out in the field. Uh, we get this iconic shot of them stumbling mm. upon the derelict ship for the first time, and you're once again reminded that. Um, all the scale models and the matte paintings and the old school film magic. It still works even in 4k and it is awesome. Uh, And of course, Ash gets to see all this through some uh, really horrible video being transmitted back, (laughs) but even that works still looks good. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a found footage moving away, which is just like, it makes it a little bit more personal of like, they can't really see the structure that well, but the image itself works very effectively because it is supposed to be a very big and grand structure which we don't have to physically see it we can see it through the lens of their cameras which is not perfect 
but it still paints that picture of how big this thing is, which is good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And shout out to using kids in miniaturized spacesuits to give you even more of a sense of scale. Um, right. Yep. That's that so cool. Works. Yeah. Um, let's see. Now, as of course, as they decide to go into the ship, that's where their signal starts to cut out. And, um, you know, mm. Ash is noticeably perturbed because um, he, he really wanted to see what was about to happen. Um, we get the interior of the derelict, and it's got that bone-like structure in the hallway. Mm. Again, got Giger for the win, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's all him in this. And then they climb up that little wall and space jockey. And yeah. it's so I cool. I love I, this room. Oh God, it's outstanding. I, I remember being a kid in uh, Disney world in the early nineties. And I think it was the Disney MGM thing in Florida, mm. uh, where they had the scale model of the space jockey, uh, in oh, wow. like, the lobby for one of the rides. And just thinking that that was like the coolest damn thing ever. Uh, and then I read somewhere that, um, like one of the premieres of this at um, uh, the uh, one Egyptian theater in uh, L.A., they had a mm. ton of the scale models, and there were people that burned the space jockey one down because they thought it was satanic or something. Oh wow! Um, yeah, well, satanic panic from '79, I guess. Okay, um, fair. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. But uh, let me ask you. Were you disappointed in Prometheus that the engineers and the space jockey were so much smaller in scale than they were in this film? Okay. Yeah. Um, while you were asking that question, I was like, no, I was not. But then you ah. said like in size. Yeah. Um, Cause this really shows how big a scope these beings really are. They're huge. Uh, we get this nice wide angle shot of them and compared to like them walking around the room, Compared to the space jockey, the space jockey is like maybe like five times bigger than them. Um, but yeah, they're just like maybe two, three feet taller in Prometheus. I do like the look of them. I think um, their origin story and what their main purpose is uh, makes sense for the franchise. And I do like what they went for in that direction. Uh, but I am disappointed that they didn't. Like they weren't more godlike and bigger and more mm-hmm. powerful. Uh, but then again, in Prometheus, they were pretty powerful where they can like slap a person across a room. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Well, I guess their size doesn't really matter. Maybe he was like <laughs> the small one of the group and the rest yeah, of them are yeah. bigger. Maybe that's like a kid size um, jockey. But no, I mean, I, I love this scene so much because of its iconic look and what we learned what room they're in later on in prometheus is really cool and again this is really great world building where this movie doesn't give us a lot of answers but they don't have to no. they're just able to give us enough information for us to be attracted to the scene and be invested into like what really happens like why its chest is outwards we find that out until like much later on which is great great storytelling yeah. oh yeah um and then there's this this moment during all this where they cut back and mm-hmm. this is where Ripley is talking with Ash about, hey, this looks more like a warning than it does a distress call. And I'm thinking to myself, without some type of Rosetta Stone, how, how can you tell? <laughs> I, I just, I, sure, 
whatever. We'll, we'll just roll with it because it just goes ahead right. and continues to build the mood and the tension and everything. And then, um, okay. So we've got creepy fossilized remains where, um, you know, the, the, the ribs are bent outwards and all that. Mm-hmm. And the creepy remains say, close your mouth, dear. Right. But then the terrifying dark hole in the floor is like, hold my beer, son, because right. it's going to get so much worse. So they're about to, well, they do. They lower cane into the hole. I'm not sure why everything looks so super ancient and it's like, why would you think there's anything worth exploring here? It's, you know, maybe because in some ways yeah. they're contracted to at least, you know, okay, if something looks like intelligent life, you've got to at least do due, dil- do, uh, due diligence in investigating. Maybe that's it. But wow, yeah. this just feels like the worst idea ever. And it's, and it's very interesting because it seems like in this world – people are very aware that aliens exist. Uh, that's why we don't see them really panic when they get into this room and they see this being, it's like normal for them. I mean, it's probably yeah. something I mean, new to awe, them. But right. yeah, I think in a world where we have colonized other planets mm-hmm. and we do, you know, um, terraforming and, um, you know, uh, mineral harvesting, uh, from light years away, uh, that sure, we probably right. encountered some worlds where there's at least alien Something. animals, you know, probably nothing intelligent because I don't think we're that lucky that we would have encountered anything like that. It's going to be all the low level stuff. So yeah, yeah, you're right. They're, they're not exactly shocked, but they're certainly in awe. Um, so they lower Keen down and there's this layer of mist that mm. covers the eggs that reacts when broken so let me be sure to kick an egg as I eat shit and fall off the walkway. <laughs> right. Cause he absolutely kicks one and you see it bounce. And I would have liked if that was the one that he goes to inspect because he disturbed it. But yeah, nah, nah, he just stands up. Um, and then, um, you know, don't stick your face in the first contact. Right. I mean, <laughs> It's, it's like Prometheus. You have smart people doing some stupid things for sure. A hundred percent of that is us as an audience being informed by, you know, years and years of cinema with scary shit happening and jump scares and everything else being like, you know, don't poke it with a stick. Right. Right. A hundred percent. And this is not oh. like something that looks friendly too, in my eyes. No, um, not at it, all. It looks very, um, uh, I mean, I'm just looking at it right now. I love that it's clear and see-through and you can actually see something moving inside. I think that's a really clever design. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big warning is like, all right, there's something moving in there and it knows my presence right now. And then it's going to slowly open and I'm still sticking around. Why? Yeah. Why, why, why? But at the same time, I love every moment of it. Yep. And it's Very one iconic. of the, the best jump scares in sci-fi horror history right here when yeah. it comes flying out of the egg and burns through his helmet. You know, you hear the sizzling and it's like, Oh, this just, this is going to end in tears. But uh, yeah, they, they they just kind of cut back to Dallas and Lambert dragging him back. And here's a question that I have for you. Did they turn off their cameras after they pulled him out of the hole? Because if not, then Ash has been listening to them freak the 
fuck out ever since they got a signal again. And he hasn't right. said a thing to Ripley yet at this point. It like so, could be one of those two things. It could be where it's like uh, Ash saw everything go down, didn't say anything because he wants the thing to come back. Mm-hmm. Or they did cut off their cameras because they're aware like if they bring this back and not say anything, or if they do say something, they're not going to let them inside as well. I think that's um, much more likely. But uh, you know, yeah. it's something that definitely gets glossed over. And I, I absolutely wanted to get your take on that because... No, of course. Yeah, th- th- it's it's weird seeing this movie now after we've gone through a pandemic as well because Ripley Loki was correct. She's like, no, that's an unknown um, entity. Like, we were not allowed to bring it inside. We had to go through quarantine processes. I'm like, yes, this is what we should have done with our situation as well from the very beginning, but like we let this thing in and it kind of mm-hmm. spreads and attacks people. And it's like, Oh wow. This is kind of a, a quarantine moving away too. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's weird. Um, yeah. Nearly a million people can't be run. Right. Um, right. It's, Jesus. Um, and we're still dealing with it. Uh, yeah. So yes, the quarantine conversation and then more strange behavior from Ash and that he totally mm-hmm. overrides her commands and just lets them in. Um, yeah, that's, mm. and she's wow. Pissed. The look on her face when he just oh, goes yeah. ahead and opens things up. It's like, what the fuck just happened? Um, so moving on from here, we get the examination of Kane and the crew's mm. reaction outside the room. Um, I love that whoever came up with the sonic cutting tech uh, that they're using to cut the helmet into. Is it probably looks like so the, good. He's probably like a massive Doctor Who fan or something like that. Um, but yeah, yeah. All the little sonic tools. It's yeah. very interesting what, what? in uh, how they can control the depth of cutting because mm-hmm. i mean obviously it doesn't look like any of his hair is singed or any of that it's Nothing. just no it's precision to cut yes specifically through this thing and also not cut the beastie on his face uh because that could have been really messy melt the guy's oh, yeah. face off um so yeah of course we get the uh the famous acid for blood scene where uh they try to cut a finger off and uh mm-hmm. starts burning through the floor um I'm not a huge fan of the music in this scene, but I, okay. I, I I'm a little too adventurous. Yeah, it's it's a little silly to me. And I know who is it? It's uh, Jerry Goldsmith, something like that. Um, I, I remember reading like what he was going for in scoring this film mm-hmm. was like old timey, you know, like romantic space adventure, and mm. it's a horror film really right um so i don't know that's weird to me but otherwise i love the scene how they go like two decks down before the acid stops and this is like the first major hint that brett like brett is like totally stony baloney through like uh, a whole big chunk of this film right because he's just like totally spaced out and you know, they're like asking for his pen and all that so that they can test the acid. And he's got like no idea what the hell is going on. Um, and this will come back multiple times throughout the rest of this film. Right. <laughs> but <laughs> see, I, I like what you did there. Um, right. Right. <laughs> right. No, the movies, um, it's interesting, but like, again, they're back and forth kind of works and, they're kind of discovering this new stuff together. Um, 
it's it's a very interesting moment when they find out about the acid because I feel like they should be more worried. Um, yeah, yeah. I feel like, have you guys seen this before as well? Like, how are you like not panicking more? And I love the design of the face hugger. The face hugger looks. I I don't know why I was about to say gorgeous. It doesn't look gorgeous. Um, very uh, threatening, and then the way it, like mm-hmm. moves his tail around his neck. Every time they touch it, it's like, oh. yeah, this is a threat you don't mess with at all. It and you guys are messing with it. so real. Like, it's a yeah. real creature. And then, you know, it's because a lot of it was made from, you know, parts of living mm-hmm. things. But, uh, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But, um, yeah, it looks crazy real. And just all the sweat just pooled mm-hmm. on Kane. Um, he, he's not having a good day. And it's only going to get worse. But um, we uh, get Ripley uh, confronting Ash about breaking quarantine. And this, like, is Mm. such uh, people at work that don't get along having a serious Mm. conversation about one of their behavior type of situations. Uh, It's super uncomfortable, but super believable, right? Yeah. Um. Let's see here. Where am I? Yeah, I mean, well, basically, like... he he does his whole, um, you know, you do your job, I'll do mine type thing. And yeah, they, here's the thing: that thing on the monitor looks like some kind of a creature inside of <laughs> inside of Kane, right? Right. And all she does is, "What is that?" And he's like, "Oh, I don't know." And then he just quickly turns it off. And I, I don't know. I would have been slightly more curious if I were Ripley. I, eh. Right. Me, I, I guess, guess it's like, don't ask um, type of protocol in the way. I like she, She's suspicious for sure. Uh, the thing with Ash too, and I think knowing what we get out of the sequels uh, and also aka prequel, I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. the company is very aware of what this creature is, aka Ash is aware of what this really is and yeah. wants to bring this back immediately. We kind of get that a little bit with the director's cut and stuff like that too, but yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, which is weird in that it's a director's cut that adds slightly more footage, but also cuts stuff out from this theatrical run to make it actually mm-hmm. a shorter film than the theatrical run. That's so, true. It's yeah, that's a good call. Unusual, um, but uh, then we cut to you know a little uh, conversation over the intercom about hey, where's Dallas? And yeah, he's getting baked in the escape shuttle, you know, listening to some classical music and, you know, he's doing his best to unwind, but, right. uh, yeah. Um, no more face hugger and on. Yes. Um, so you've got Ash, Dallas and Ripley in the infirmary and there's that awesome little jump scare where, uh, they kick over a box and it scares the shit out of Ripley as she's looking under the, uh, examination table. Uh, it's effective. I'll allow it. You know, there's some people who just hate on jump scares and, you know, as long as they're just not like a gratuitous, this is a jump scare for jump scare's sake. I, I will absolutely allow it. I think that yeah. this this one it, works. This one works and it's necessary to be like, okay, cool. This is not a threat anymore. So they can actually start to unwind and laugh about it later to actually uh-huh. find out, no, the threat's still alive and very oh, real. Oh yeah. It's, it's um, very effective. Yep. So they, they, you know, do their little examination of the room and I love the fake out of Ash going <laughs> into the corner 
And, you know, with his little prod, he is poking into that upper corner. And that's right when this thing drops out of the ceiling somehow right. and lands on Ripley and super delayed reaction from the gentleman in the room, uh, you know, coming to see what's going on, but it looks pretty dead and they poke right. it and they get this fun little reflex action from it. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, again, I love how real it all looks and yeah, that's because, you know, like the baby in a racer head, you know, back in the day, they were all about making creatures from organs, from actual critters. <laughs> it's, you know, they had like a sheep's bladder and some other stuff. I wanted to say there was like some raw oysters that were in the mix with this thing. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it, it that. quite the combination, but it looks, again, real as hell. And like you said, when you can go practical because it will last forever. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything else to say about the face hugger before we move on from here? Cause this is about the last we'll see of it. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, I'm looking at it right now and kind of like what you're talking about. They really go in there and it would touch yeah. all of its organs and they're really inspecting it and having that little twitch. I feel like it's just super effective and they're amazed by it and ash you could tell with ash he's the one that's mostly intrigued by it and is like looking at it more intently which kind of gives him more context clue of what his real intentions are where he didn't really care about the situation other than the face hugger being alive and now he just wants to like observe it and find out what it really was yep yep yeah. study study but, like, study gotta bring it back and that was just like i'm out <laughs> Yep, yep. It's like enough of this shit. You do whatever you need to do. Uh, and then we get that super fun argument where Ripley's chasing right. after him down the corridor and she shuts the one uh, you know, sliding door in his face. And there's been, you know, so much alien lore from other films and other stuff, and they make it clear that uh Whalen Yutani, as we go through other films, which is in the following film and everything else retconned as Wayland with a D Utani. I don't know why they decided to change the spelling. There's probably, it was either a flub in the production of aliens or somebody got pissed about the use of their name. One of the two. Mm, I can see that. Yeah. Uh, I know Utani came from, um, uh, Ridley Scott, he had a Japanese neighbor in the UK and he wanted to use something like Toyota, but you know, of course mm. he didn't want to use Toyota, uh, right. as the corporation name. So he decided to use his neighbor's last name for, uh, the corporation. Um, but, uh, yeah, they make it clear throughout all these movies and other stuff that the company, you know, they knew about the aliens. They knew mm -hmm. about the signal. They knew the Nostromo would be passing through uh, Zeta-2 Reticuli. And uh, they mm. also, because they knew, or likely because they knew, replaced the science officer with Ash. Because Dallas makes this comment about, you know, just before, you know, I shipped out the last five times with this other dude. And just before we left... The company replaced him with this guy. That's right. I mean, that's a really good call. So like yeah, you said earlier, like yeah. And, and like you yeah. said earlier, they fucking knew all along. Now, so much of this has been retconned by, you know, 40 years of films, right. but it all fucking works. And it all fits. It makes sense 
so much in the context of this film alone that they would have known all along. And we get more of that later on. Um, but uh, they make the decision now in this fun argument, you know, all the repairs that we have left to do, that's a bunch of bullshit. We could take off without that. Let's do it. Sure. Okay. <laughs> they, right. they, they all want to get the fuck out. And that, that makes okay. sense. Rightfully they, so. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're not having a good time uh, on this uh, weird little moon. Um, so, um, you know, they, they make it and, um, you know, they're off into space again, you know, right. That's the Nostromo. Yep. And so, you know, Brett rolls a not so fatty and, uh, ultimately <laughs> Kane wakes up, right. um, after that little argument that they have in the mess hall again. Um, and you know, he's for having something that melted the faceplate of his helmet to attach to his face. His face right. is in pretty good shape. Not too bad. Yeah. 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 It's um, not sure how all that worked. That's tiny. The face hugger is also very uh, precision based with like its surgery through a, a yeah. helmet. Yeah. I guess so. I guess so. But uh, yeah, he's doing okay. He's just very, very thirsty and hungry. Uh, mm. You know, well, I guess that, you know, happens when you're eating for two, right? So right. we have the last supper. And yeah, if you are watching this video, you are likely very aware about how none of the cast knew what to expect, how oh, that's right. you know, this, you know, was all kept super, super secret, or at least in so much as it could be. And they're just doused with blood. And, but <laughs> even before that, you get Ash eyeballing Kane like crazy across the dinner table. You know, he's yeah. keeping tabs on him. And then I have in my notes, pop goes the weasel. Um, <laughs> that's, yes, it does. It, yes, it does. It, it is horrific. Even all these years later, it and Veronica Cartwright gets the very violent with the gore. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she is splattered head to toe. And yeah, this little thing pops mm. out. It looks good. Peace. <laughs> yeah. Just... Which I think with one of my theories with this alien creature and Ash kind of talks about it later on. It's like it's the perfect organism where it has like no morality. It's just a survivor where I think if like they never hunted it, it would have been fine or they would have found a way to easily avoid it and not really get attacked. I feel like it was provoked. So it was doing the only thing it knows to survive, which is attack them back essentially. Because yeah. I feel like this, this as a survival mechanism, it just saw threats and it just ran away. Mm -hmm. And then but once also, it got bigger, it's like, I can take care of myself. Come at me. See what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think at a certain point it got a little hungry too. But yeah, uh, it got that taste. Yep. Um, but yeah, that's kind of horrible. Did, did I ever send you a pic of the jack-o'-lantern jack my department uh, at work carved about 10 years ago? We did the whole chestburster sequence. We used a gourd <laughs> with uh, plastic fork tines for teeth and all sorts oh, wow. of blood everywhere. Um, yeah, we had a lot of customers very concerned about us um, while we were <laughs> doing this thing in front of God and everybody. But it was fun. Um, yeah. Let's see here. We have our little uh, burial at sea after, 
you know, some very tense conversations about, hey, right. do you see anything? Do you hear anything? You know, they're all kind of freaking out. And um, anybody have any last words? Nope. Okay. Boop. And eject his body. Um, let's see. And then we're back around the table. And okay, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to break into teams. We're going to hunt this thing down. We're going to try to catch it in a net. We've got these cattle prods. I don't know why you have cattle prods on a right. freighter that hauls ore, but sure. Or at least they're able to rig something together similar to one. Uh, Brett's pretty industrious and so is ash apparently because he creates a mm-hmm. motion tracker which uh keys off of micro changes in air density and now forever we have the motion tracker uh throughout sci-fi cinema and it is so it's great, great. Oh, it's God, very effective yeah. to uh create suspense oh absolutely oh, the yeah. beeping and even like the really rudimentary monitor with the little dot and the, the dot behind yeah it. Okay. I remember playing Alien Isolation, the game, and having that, and being the character that you're using that, it's very terrifying. Yes. So, like, rewatching this, I was putting myself in their shoes. I was like, yeah, I've been in this situation before. Not really, but you could really yeah. panic when you hear the beeping getting louder and louder getting towards you. It's really cool. Yeah. That's a very effective game. Um, I yeah. definitely was not able to make it through the entire thing, but uh, probably beyond like a first like really major encounter with the alien where there's fire and mm-hmm. stuff collapsing all around you. And that's about it. Uh, that game's <laughs> a lot. Um, it is. Uh, let's see. So we cut away to, you've got uh, Brett Parker and Ripley in their team. And, you know, they're, uh, again, going through corridors with almost no lights on. In fact, actually, they, they make a comment about that, about, hey, I thought we fixed the lights over here. And, yeah. uh, you know, they go to work on that. And the box isn't quite working. You get that lovely line, uh, micro changes in air density, my ass. And <laughs> it's like, yep. oh, wait a minute. Hey, hey, we got something. And right. they they find it's the cat, man. Uh, yeah. Good, good jump scare still. But, um but yeah, it's just the cat and they have a good laugh about it. Parker. And again, remember he's very recently played a bond villain, but Mm -hmm. he just looks shaken as all get out by this encounter with the cat. And, And he has a good laugh about it, but, um, you know, you gotta go get the cat, man. Right. It's like, well, you have to go get him. It's like, eh, do you really have to? It's like, I get what their context was. Like, all right, it's going to disrupt the motion sensor again if we don't catch him. Yeah. But uh, I was like, the cat is the least of your problems. Like, you can, like, go through that again and be fine. But I do like this scene a lot, too, because it releases some tension of, like, dumb going after this thing. Mm-hmm. So you never know when the threat's really going to happen. It's like, cool, right. you can build up the suspense and then it's like, it gets relieved. Build up suspense, gets relieved. Build up suspense, no, it's happening. And then yeah. it's more effective that way. I think if this were a modern film, the next little bit before uh, Brett's demise, uh, we would complain about how long it runs. But I think it's absolutely perfect, personally. You know, just I agree. chasing after the cat, you find the skin. Chase a little more. Okay can't find them but you get these chains right swaying and around rattling, and then you know the moisture falling down um which i i 
I don't know what exactly that is in the ship, but it's almost like the ship right. has its own, um, you know, weather system because of all the massive amounts of atmosphere that needs to be created or something. I don't know. It's right. condensation from something, but, but he's um, okay with that touching his face and his body. So it's, it's fine. It's not like, I guess something bad. Um, <laughs> which I'm like, oh, a very interesting moment, but sure. Yeah. It's very cinematic and it's very iconic to look at too. Yep, and then he finally corners Jonesy, and and again, here's where we get to appreciate my half-assed Harry Dean Stanton cosplay because you know he's got the Hawaiian <laughs> shirt and everything else, and oh yeah, you know, and then the he's got the cat coming towards him, and all of a sudden that cat reacts, and mm. you see something drop down behind him, and. Ooh, that sense of scale. It's gorgeous to look at. Yeah. And I love how um the editing went through with this whole entire process. And they do this a lot with every attack. Is it kind of jump cut between someone who's watching it to the person who's the victim to the alien as well. Which mm-hmm. causes like a really cool back and forth of what the situation really looks like in multiple angles. And it's just very effective that way too. Because yeah. Jonesy just watches it all happen, and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, probably a little too scared to run. I, right. I got to figure that's what it is, because otherwise a cat would just peace out, you know? Right. I, I think the cat is absolutely terrified in this instance. I agree. But, uh, you know, the the, the critter uh, finds um, a, a much more enticing meal, and... Uh, well, um, we get the first shot of those inner jaws uh, plunging into flesh and, mm. you know, screams and he gets carted off. That's all she yeah. wrote. And once again, we get Parker like really shaken up and mm. they're like, yeah, it, he took him into the air ducts. And I think part of this is from a deleted scene, which shows up in the director's cut where uh, they run into that room just as he's being taken away. And so they do That's right. see they carry him away. Something. Uh, even if they don't necessarily see much of the creature, they do see that Brett is being taken away. Um, so we get this throwaway line from Ash. It's like blink and you'll miss it, where he refers to the monster mm. as Kane's son. So mm. I, I definitely want to bring up that so much of this film is like based around um, the male fear of everything that happens to women. Yeah, I feel that. We have the violation of the facehugger. Right. So, you know, that, you know, um, that right. penetration and then ultimately giving birth. Um, yeah. It's scary. It's, it really yeah. is. And they play yeah. on all of that so well. Uh, yeah. So they come up with this wonderful plan here. Oh, it went into the air ducts and it's the size of a man and creatures seem to retreat from fire. Oh, let's just go into the air ducts and just try to burn it out. Sounds, Mm. that sounds like a solid plan, right? Not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think Dallas, you know, volunteers to go ahead and do this, but before he does that, he's going to have one last chat with mother Mm. and mother is not helpful in any way. Just no. does not compute, not enough information. Sorry, I got nothing. 
and it's very intentional that that's happening oh, right now too. Yes. It's like yes, at this point, the only person that has control is Ash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And let's see here. Yeah, I have chase it with fire into an airlock and blast its ass into outer space. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> um, well, uh, you've got uh, the remaining people divvied up into teams to monitor with the motion trackers and. This, ever since I was a little kid on, this whole sequence is just terrifying. Being trapped really in these tunnels. He can't stand up. He's got to almost crawl. And you have these... Um, uh, the these, doors. Uh, seals, like, yeah. That yeah. Telescope and... Yeah. Which is a great uh, design, too, and great sound design, oh, too. They sound very metallic, yeah. and you can hear it close. They just sound and, rusty as all hell. Right, yeah. yeah. Just all the metal-on-metal metal grating. And, yeah. you know, a, again, the very effective beeping of the motion tracker and stuff moving around, and Veronica Cartwright as Lambert losing her mind because she, you know, can't get a good read, and then it's moving right towards him, and he's going the wrong way and all that. Right. And then the screaming creating this horrible feedback where you're you're wincing yourself as right. Dallas is probably being eaten alive. Um, although they mm. mentioned no blood. No Dallas. They just right. Find and we see, empty. we see what happens in the director's cut. Um, what ends up happening to him. He, oh, yeah. So they, they weren't sure. Die. Yeah. They weren't sure in the original production of this, how to explain where the eggs came from. That wasn't something that really right. came up until, until aliens. Uh, yeah. but, uh, Giger had the idea that the alien would somehow take victims and somehow transform them into eggs to create oh. more face huggers. And so he's got a series of paintings of people being cocooned and slowly, slowly being dissolved into like an egg like state. Whoa. Um, it's pretty so, wild. Yeah. That's where a lot of this came from. And, very horrifying too. Yeah, and a lot of the scene you're describing um, got cut out just because of the danger with the flamethrower of lighting the entire set on fire. Um, Mm -hmm. It just, you know, didn't work super well. I I think that scene is pretty terrifying, and it comes fairly late in the film, but Dallas all cocooned, and he can barely speak, and doesn't he ask for her to kill him? I think so. Yeah, yeah, because there's like an egg in front of him or something like that too. Yeah, he can kind of see what's happening, and yeah, yeah. Um, so with Dallas dead, um, Ripley would like some answers from Ash at this point, and you know he's like, "No, nope, we're still collating data," and she's like, "The fuck you say?" Um, you know, you, you've got all this information. You've been studying all this stuff, you know, for days now. You got nothing? Okay. Fuck off. I'm in command right. now, so I'm going to go talk to Mother, and we're going to see what the computer has to say about all this. And here's where we get Special Order 937, um, where, hmm. you know, plays into our earlier conversation quite a bit. Uh, so I, I actually did type it out just because it's just kind of, Chilling in its entirety. Nostromo rerouted to new coordinates. Investigate life form. Gather specimen. Priority one. Ensure return of organism for analysis. All other considerations secondary. Crew expendable. Uh, So, yes. uh, The company was very aware that these things were out there. Um, Mm -hmm. 
and Ash, by extension, was also aware. And Ripley leans back in her chair, just exasperated. And we find that Ash has somehow been able to sneak into the room undetected and says, there's an explanation for this, you know. Right. And nonchalantly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and things just spiral out of control from here. Um, yeah, it's a pretty wild scene. Yeah. Do you have um, any other takes on uh, Waylon Itani's involvement with all this? And, you know, the pr- trouble is we have all this history that right. informs us on stuff that has happened in this film and so much of it retconned and, you know, just all this other lore that we shouldn't know about, but maybe just right. in the context of, um, this film alone. I mean, do you have any other thoughts about this? No, I mean, I'm trying to think about it when I first saw this movie and was looking at what mother was doing. And I really loved the fact that we had a antagonist that we could not see, or the only thing we get through with like what this company is capable of is through mother and Ash, uh, and what they're really willing to do as a company, uh, for their asset to come back to them and be able to utilize that. Um, I love the scene where it says crew um, expendable. And that really opens her eyes. Like we're nobodies to them. We're just a piece of like a bigger puzzle piece. Um, But yeah. And and of course, now that we got a lot of context and now we know a lot of what's really going on. um, It's very interesting to rewatch and go back. Uh, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I feel like this scene is very effective, especially with just, we don't really get any dialogue from this company. We just get text and Mm -hmm. missions and protocols. Oh, it's Um, all very cold. Yes. Yeah. So it's, like I said, I'm a big fan of like evil corporations. I'm not a fan of them, but I love them in movies and what they bring to the table. Correct. Uh, Yeah. Uh, In a cinematic way, it's like, cool. There's a lot going on with uh, another movies like Robocop. There's so many Mm -hmm. movies where it's just like, it just brings out like evil corporations are bad. And this is why. So this is a great example of that. And I think Alien does it in such a great way. And like I said, in the future of sequels and prequels and their website, they do such a great job of bringing this company to life. And yeah, yeah, this is a great way to show, not tell the exposition of this company. Yep. It all works. So Ripley tries to run away from Ash and these doors are closing all around her and he's just standing still. Um, so either he's synced with mother and is causing, uh, the doors to close or the computer itself is trapping her Mm. in there with Ash. It's one of the two. It's, it's probably the second one where mother is like, nah, no, we got to stop you think this so? right now. Okay. I think so. I like that. Uh, I, at least I ch- I choose to believe that that is uh, what is actually happening here, that Mother and Ash are working in tandem to kill Ripley mm. at this point. Uh, it's just creepier that way. Uh, no, it is. Yeah. 100%. I agree. So we see the these beads starting to run down Ash's face, which at first you think is sweat, and then you realize, nah, that's white, white. man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is the circulating fluid and um, you know, he's, he's kind of making weird noises and starting to freak out. And he starts throwing her around like a fucking rag doll and tries yeah. to kill her with a rolled up porno mag. Um, 
it is an interesting scene. way to try to kill somebody. Right. But it, I no idea if he is just trying to drive this magazine through her skull or suffocate her or what, but uh, it's all that Parker and Lambert can do to try to pry him off of Ripley. Yeah. Uh, it's a very brutal and intense scene. And like you said, oh, that's yeah. like the most interesting way to kill someone. And I feel like it works for the severity of like, this is wild. What am I watching? Um, as a robot, maybe he's just looking at the first thing that comes to mind of what's reachable and what's able to be able to get grabbed. So I think that's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you get that weird moment where, um, you know, Parker's hand reaches or uh, Ash's hand reaches out to Parker and grabs his chest and just starts squeezing at him and just, you know, the, the, the strength that this uh, guy has is, it's very clear. It's more than human. And yeah. then they just managed to clip him in the head with this fire extinguisher. And he starts going out of control, spewing the circulating fluid everywhere. And then they knock his block off. Uh, <laughs> that works. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. Good I mean, way to you, knock him down. You do what you got to do. Um, yeah. And, you know, they even have to use one of the cattle prods on him just to make him stop at this point. Even right. with his head removed, he's still coming at them. So cut to them trying to fire him back up again to try to get some mm. answers. Um, I, I suppose this is one tiny nitpick. You've got this really abrupt transition from the fake head to Ash's or, you know, uh, Ian Holmes head Real actually head. sticking yeah. up through the table. They could have just cut away between the two, but instead they try to cut from one directly to the other, which eh, a little jarring, a little jarring. Yeah. It, it works well enough, but um, right. Yeah. So, you know, he has his little, I can't lie to you about your chances, but you have my sympathies line. Mm. This entire speech and back and forth with Ash, which just works so effectively and rewatching it, I was getting goosebumps where he, they even talk about like, you admire this thing. He's like, mm -hmm. I, I, in the way he does admire it, but he loves its purity of pretty much. It does what it just needs to do to survive. Yeah. And it really sets the stage of what they're going after or what they're going against. Um, and it, it's, it just makes the alien, uh, the alien himself or herself that much scarier. It's like, this is the perfect organism. This is what our company wants because it is so great at what it does. And yeah, it's a survivor. This is, this is where, uh, Ripley makes the very first comment in the series that the company has a weapons division and right. how they likely want the creature for that division because they want to use it as some type of a bioweapon. And, uh, yeah, after that, uh, mm. you have my sympathies line. She's like rips out the connections and right. he's frozen with the smirk on his face and it's absolutely perfect. But this is where she makes the decision. They're going to blow up the ship. They're going to take their chances in the shuttle that they couldn't use before because they just have too many people and they're going to blow up the ship. And new plan. Uh, yeah, new plan, new plan. Um, so she sends Parker and Lambert after uh, coolant for the life support system on the shuttle, and she's going to go get the shuttle prepped herself. Um, so she opens up the uh, shipwide channels and uh, so they can stay in communication, and she hears the little from uh, Jodzi, and she's like, oh, fuck the cat. 
yeah, I guess we can't leave the cat. So you think probably your first time seeing this, you think to yourself, you know, especially if you have no knowledge of the series whatsoever, you think to yourself, oh, she's going off on her loan. She's done so, right? But right. Um, yeah, I have here. If I were an audience member in 1979, I would have been like, lady, leave the cat. You're going to die. Right. Um, but no. Um, I also love that they have a cat carrier and they replicated yeah. this cat carrier for the Ripley skin in Fortnite. <laughs> it's her oh my backpack. God. And the cat even Is pops it? out of it. <laughs> I may have to get that. I don't even play the game, but that's kind of cool. I don't play it very often, but that one was an instant. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, They've got that and they've got the drop ship from the Sulaco as the glider. uh, Oh, wow. Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, So let's see here. Um, And you can hear that Ripley can hear uh, Parker and Lambert over the comms with all the clanging around as she's looking Mm. for the cat. Um, You get this nice jump scare uh, where the cat leaps out of one of the uh, swivel chairs on the bridge and she's just pissed at this cat, but she manages to grab him, throw him in the cat carrier. And here's where we get the little fake out where the creature isn't going after her. It's coming after Lambert and Parker. And you see mm. its silhouette in the spotlight. Uh, well, the flashlight that, you know, they just set down. You see it come into frame and kind of settle in and everything. And Lambert slowly realized that it's there. And I mean, so terrified. Both, oh yeah. Both uh, yeah. Koto and uh, Veronica Cartwright are both just excellent at showing their fear uh, yeah. in these situations. Um, it, it is terrifying. Um, and you know, Parker decides, um, well, actually Ripley hears them um, over the radio, know, which yeah, is also she, very haunting she, and scary. Oh yeah. She's like, Oh, nah. God, I got to do something. So she starts running their way and the creature's kind of moving towards Lambert and Parker's like, I'm going to grab this meat hook over here and I'm going to be a big damn hero, except Mm. not. And um, it's God, it's almost like the drool is burning him, not like acidic, just like the heat from this creature as it's looming over him and kind of crushing him before it uses its inner jaws on him. And, um, yeah, great close up shot of it, too. And it's like horrifying to look at. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's meaty for sure. Um, and then, yeah, I, I don't like this bit, but, um, it's, you know, how I mentioned that this film, you know, plays off of the fears that men have of the female experience. And right. then they have to go and do like a simulated rape with uh, the tail thing. Yeah. yeah. And I don't care for that. And then yeah. her horrified breathing as it's just taking its time advancing on her. It's, you know, it's toying with her. Right. And you hear it all over the intercom before its roar and her final scream. And yeah, do not like. It's is it sufficiently terrifying? Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's it's just a little gross. And, Too much. Yeah, more more than a little gross. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, Ripley finds them in pools of their own gore, uh, with limbs still swinging. And okay, that's it. Forget the coolant. I'm out. I gotta blow up right. the ship. Yep. Time to peace out. And 
they go over the top emphasizing that this auto-destruct sequence is not to be taken lightly. She's got to unscrew the panel first for these levers to be pulled down. Not one, but two, and with great effort. And then that releases a panel in the floor with all sorts of crazy instructions and these cylinders and everything else. And you got to screw stuff into them and pull them up and... There, there's you a can't lot going do this on. unintentionally. Yeah, you can't nope. mess this up. You can't accidentally yeah. cause this yeah. to happen, which is good. This isn't. Yeah, yeah. It's not like Star Trek right. where you know Picard can just you know give his authorization with a code and you know the ship's set to destruct. Right. Right. Um. So, uh, she goes ahead and gets everything started, and wow, the ship just starts expelling steam like crazy. This the ship is now mm-hmm. a steam factory. And, you know, she, you can see she can barely see walking through uh, the corridor. I don't remember if this is the scene or five minutes from now when she returns is the scene. But there's like a cameraman behind one of the panels that uh, the, a panel oh. flops open and you can see him briefly. But, um, you know, just one of those fun little uh, mistakes that wasn't mm-hmm. able to be edited out because there was just no fucking way. But uh one of those also blink and you'll miss it type of situations. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, Ripley heads off to the shuttle and she's, you know, got the cat in tow and <laughs> she's, you know, taking her time because she needs to make sure her way is clear. And this is where she peeks around the corner and there it is. Mm-hmm. And there's this great music cue and you see it kind of right. in profile and turning and she's just immediately up against the wall just frozen, terrified. Her hair is just matted to her head. She's sweating so hard. And I'm sure it's hot as fuck in this ship at this point too, because oh, the core is yeah. shut off. And yeah, she's just slowly inching away and you get that great little shot of from just off camera, the just very beginning of the jaws of the alien coming around the corner. And yeah. it's time to drop the cat and book it. Um, so she gets back to the uh, the auto destruct room with like a minute. To, oh, and even before this, you get this almost POV shot of the cat inside the box looking right. up at the aliens staring down at the cat. So that's where my theory kind of kicks in too. It's like the aliens only attacking what's the threat. The cat was never really a threat. So it just always leaves yeah. the cat alone where I feel like. The alien is just trying to survive where it just becomes the hunter at that point. Yeah. Although I very much think that the alien knocked the cat box around a little bit because <laughs> it, trying to get into it. It, it was upright when the alien's looking at it, but when yeah, Ripley fair. comes back and finds Jonesy, it's on its side and over in the corner or something. Oh, damn. Poor cat. <laughs> oh, this cat gets rattled around like crazy in that box. And, that's uh, true even with her running with it yeah oh yeah yeah you, you feel for this cat at this point i'm not even really a cat person but i feel for this cat for sure right. um so let's see here she gets back to the auto destruct room and she's got like a minute left to turn it off and this is like the ultimate freak out moment. Like when you're in a big hurry to get something done and there's a timer and you know, you got to submit something or whatever mm-hmm. that's got to be done. And inevitably you fumble like crazy when you're in this type of scenario, you know, yeah. this is it's absolutely, a good way to put it. 
This is absolutely that real world type of thing playing out for her. And she just, she just can't get the stuff shut off in time. She's trying to push this stuff that really shouldn't be pushed and it doesn't work. She misses it. Um, and now, you know, mother's on the PA talking about how, Hey, okay. You can't kill the auto destruct. The ship is going to blow up in five minutes. You know, you got five minutes to get to minimum safe distance. And there's this line from Ripley where she Mm -hmm. asks mother to turn the coolant back on. And it's like a, she's asking almost like a child. And then there's one begging. Yes. And there's one more page for mother about uh, the timing of the auto destruct and Ripley screams out, you bitch. And she smashes the monitor with her flamethrower and it's pretty intense. Um, Yeah. I love that line. Oh yeah. So now she realizes she's got to make it to the shuttle and the alien is between her and the shuttle and she's got to hurry her ass up. So I don't know if I've ever seen somebody angry run, but she is angry running (laughs) big time. It's just the look on her face and just the way she's breathing. She is pissed and she gets back to that corner and tries to do her slow peek around the corner to make sure it's not there. It's not there. And the cat's there. Grab the cat. Keep going. Yeah. And things are starting to explode around her. You got flames shooting out from different, uh, different corridors and so on. And she makes it inside the shuttle and slams the door and you see more flames from behind the window. It's Mm -hmm. like, I don't know how anybody could possibly get to the shuttle through all these flames and everything with, uh, you know, still some time on the clock, but whatever. She's got about a minute as she shuts the door. So she quickly, you know, drops all her shit. Cat will be fine in the box. Great. She hops into the seat, grabs the harness and, uh, you know, takes off. And this countdown lasts for a pretty long while, but it does. I, 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 don't I counted it before it. too. I was like, Oh, it's not very accurate. <laughs> no, movie. not at all. Uh, this and aliens, uh, both have some really inaccurate countdowns as far as like real world time versus it, Yeah. It's, it's definitely not, um, yeah, definitely not happening out in real time. Um, but uh, yeah, she finally gets away and the ship is uh, in the distance as it explodes. And, um, you know, here's some kind of rough matte paintings and then the effects of the explosion. They look mm-hmm. cool. Don't get me wrong. It looks I, fine. Like, yeah, yeah. I like the explosion. It just it, it looks very 1979 at this point. Yeah. Um, and uh, the matte painting of the canopy of the um, of the ship against the explosion mm-hmm. Eh, it's all right. Okay. It's yeah. Yeah. It, it still looks cool. It's just, you know, it doesn't look as real as everything else has in this film. That's right. all. Um, but, uh, she whispers her, I got you, you son of a mm. bitch. And, you know, okay, here's where we know how rattled this cat has been because she opens up <laughs> the cat box and it is clinging to her. And, right. Yeah, she does her little, okay, I missed you too, uh, to it. And she pries it off of her and uh, tosses him into um, into the cryo tube. And, um, you know, she goes to shut some stuff down, you know, grab a robe and all mm-hmm. that. And she starts undressing. And I, I, 
I, I know what they're going for here. It's like, okay, this is where we get her nearly naked, you know, because it's what we're right. going to do in a film and, you know, 79, especially a horror film. Right, right, right. And, uh, you know, the whole male gaze thing and all that. But also I appreciate that let's get this person as vulnerable as they possibly can be. You're you read in my your mind. underwear with this killing machine in an enclosed space. Right. And I have like some thoughts about the, the scene itself because I feel like, all right, is it warranted to have her do those actions? But kind of like what you bring up, it brings her to her most vulnerable point of like, you're now as relaxed as possible and as defenseless as possible now to mm-hmm. go against the antagonist. So I see why they do it. It's like, I hope that was their intention of what they were going for. It like, probably you know, wasn't, but I think it can very much be read that yeah, way. Yeah, um, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at least I'll takes, take yeah, at least takes solace in the fact that it can be read that way very easily, and it's very effective in reading it that mm-hmm. way. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, this alien's like, you can't kill me, motherfucker, and it just. But I, I'm curious why it's so sleepy acting. Is it just? Right, it doesn't become a predator anymore. It's like relaxing inside the wall. Yeah, is it? Is it's it like, because? Oh. Hmm. It knows that there's no way out of this space, that it's just the two of them and it can take its time. Is that it? It could be. I, I don't know. It's I, I feel like they're far more intelligent creatures than we give them credit for. Um, but, uh, you know, oh, God, what did I put in my notes? I was uh, definitely a little tired as I was finishing this up last night. <laughs> but I say, I don't know if the alien is sleepy because it's got some Parker and Lambert in it or yeah. just because it knows it's in an enclosed space and Ripley can't get far. I choose the former. Uh, Parker and Lambert are full of tryptophan. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> taking that Thanksgiving nap. You know, it's right. a good meal. Um, so Ripley freaks out and runs for the storage locker and closes that door and just watches this thing as it does its little slow tease with its inner jaws. And yeah, it's just, just kind of hanging out. And then she looks over and it's like spacesuit. Okay. And Mm -hmm. you know, she crawls into the spacesuit and I guess I'm just going to hop into this chair and sing to it. You know, it's uh, just going to sing a little song. She, I know she's doing, doing that more to like, you know, calm herself and try to, you know, right just keep from having a complete meltdown and she starts, you know, Mm. pressing a few buttons to, you know, try to blast it with some uh, air or steam or something like that. She finally hits the right one. And this finally lights a fire under its ass because it gets out of that Mm. cubby and, you know, she does everything that she can to not look until that last minute when it's about to punch a hole through her helmet and she smashes that button for the airlock and it gets sucked out, except it's got that grab at the very last minute. Right. And, you know, it's got that great little slowdown in the scene as it happens. Right. That little survivalist. She's got her harpoon gun and bam, right in the chest. And of course the door closes on the harpoon gun. So it's got that tether, you know, it's, it's tethered to the ship and it's going to try crawling into the afterburner, but she hits the button and vaporizes its ass. Um, now she's finally got it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, time for Ripley to finally, uh, you know, 
go night night. She's, she's earned a good sleep. And we get that lovely message that she sends out uh, as the film ends. Uh, Last survivor of the Nostromo signing off. And then credits. Great ending. Fucking movie. What a great fucking movie. It, it really is. It's There's so much that goes on in such a little bit of a runtime. It's not even crossing two hours. And like I said, even no, the director's kind of even cuts it uh, a little bit shorter. Uh, but you get a lot. You get a lot of great iconic scenes. We get a lot of different environments. We get a lot of great scenes against the antagonist of the alien. Uh, we get a lot of nice twists and turns with like Ash, uh, even with the corporation, uh, how everyone kind of goes out. Is There's not one bad death scene, I think, in yeah. this movie as well. Um, everyone Again, goes out so really good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, the afterburner scene, a little bit. I was like, okay, I can see it kind of yeah, and it but it's not doesn't bad. doesn't look exactly great yeah it's very clearly okay this is dude in a suit dangling and <laughs> yeah. uh but uh and the, the the guy that they found to uh act in the suit uh in you know most of the big hero shots for the monster uh yeah. was just a massive dude six foot ten um mm. There's a lot of photos of him uh, with costuming in that uh, Giger's Alien book. He is a big dude, but very, very slender, too. And that's how they felt. uh, He had such long arms and legs that they felt like nobody would believe that this is a guy in a suit after they put him in a suit. So it's great. More uh, practical effects. Yeah. It's one of those things where the look is iconic. We have so many great. Uh, screenshots or like gifs all from this movie and mm-hmm. it's very warranted because it's something that people will always remember um people always talk about like oh the hero slashers where it's like freddy cougar we got ghost face we got mike myers we have all of these iconic um horror villains and alien is one of them without a absolutely. doubt absolutely the xenomorph yeah. for sure hands down this film yeah. has been such an inspiration over the past 40 plus years to mm-hmm. all sorts of horror uh you know not just sci-fi and sci-fi horror but horror in general uh there's just so much that you can pick up in so many films that comes from this and this yeah. was inspired by so many great cheesy b sci-fi films out of the <laughs> 50s and the 60s as well it it's it's all super fun and cyclical but mm-hmm. uh yeah yeah uh, i think this was ridley scott's like second feature film i'm sure yeah the, it's the duelist was his first and mm. uh it's it's shocking that this was his second film um they couldn't get like the f- first choice for director and uh somebody had seen his original and like hey what about this guy and as mm-hmm. soon as they offered he was just on board He's like, yes, um, I'm in. Yeah, and he's a massive storyboarder of a director too. So this, this is a film. Oh yeah, this is a film that definitely oh, yeah. benefits from that for sure. Uh, I don't know if you've seen any of the behind the scenes stuff for Prometheus, but just all mm, the playing stages. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, it's, it's it, that's why I always protect Prometheus with all my heart. Uh, yeah. Another favorite of mine. I think it does a really good job of building the lore around this entire franchise. It's and, fucking gorgeous. Yes. It's just outstanding set pieces and awesome creature design. And yeah. yes, smart people do really dumb things in it. But uh, Okay, fair enough. Yes, I agree yeah. on that. That's but, like my only major nitpick of that film. Otherwise, I love it. Yeah. 
And I think that's the only movie that I kind of like in 3D besides a few others. Uh, I felt the 3D was actually really good back then. Yeah, um, yeah, and it I was. hate I, I hate 3, 3D movies for the most part. I, um, there was a time where I, I stopped going to see Marvel films in 3D because yeah. I want to be able to see color and detail. Mm-hmm. And you typically can't in the theater experience in 3D because everything is so washed out and mm-hmm. it just it's not the same. It's just better to go to an IMAX if you can and just, right. you know, get that. And there's a lot of movies that get converted to 3D. They were never shot in 3D. And some right. of the Marvel films were. Or this one, I I don't know if it was, but Prometheus, I'm pretty was, sure actually. it was. Yeah. yeah. Same thing with like uh, Hugo with Martin Scorsese. Like those mm-hmm. are like the two movies that always come to mind when I talk about 3D. Uh, but with Alien, it really makes you very involved as a viewer to be part of the crew with them. And you see a lot of the like the shaky cam. You see a lot of like the backwards panning shots. It makes you feel part of the environment where the kind of camera kind of goes off its on its own, and it mm-hmm. follows no character because you are the character with them. And I think that's a very effective way that really Scott got to use his camera. And I don't know, the, the whole movie is very atmospheric and it just mm-hmm. works. And being oh, so condensed a in a small space yeah, works very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Um, he's such a visual director and he is always remembered for the sights that he gives us. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is on full display in Prometheus. You, you could mm-hmm. not have done that film with anybody else looks um, gorgeous yeah yep even 10 years later it's still outstanding mm. um yeah great cast too oh they just, yeah they I love just it. do dumb shit that's all um uh, that's funny any final thoughts on alien uh, i mean alien uh in my eyes it's gonna always be a masterpiece i think it's gonna be a timeless movie i think we always talk about like gateway horror films i think Alien's a very good movie to start off in the horror genre if you're not very familiar with it. Uh, it does feel like an adventure, action-packed movie, uh, thriller. So there's some comedy in there. There's some great one-liners. We get that great final girl. We have some great moments with all the characters. Um, if you're a uh, film buff, you'll love the shots that are in this movie. Uh, the set designs, the score... Uh, there's not one thing that this movie lacks. I, I think it's like a full package. You get exactly what you want to get out of a movie. Um, and it just builds a great uh, centerpiece for what's to come for other sequels and prequels that follow after it. And it's good world building. Um, yeah, there's just so much to like about this movie. That's why it's always going to be one of my favorites. Um, it's definitely going to be one of the first films I will share like with my kids. Um, but yeah, no. Yeah. Al- Aliens, fantastic. Two words: perfect organism. This film yes. is. It just uh, Aliens has its own merits, and yeah. uh, well, I will say that Alien is a superior uh, sci-fi horror film. Uh, Aliens, while yeah, it's still a horror film, it is much more a sci-fi action. Action, and yep. and there are a lot of people that will, you know, they like to tout Terminator Two as the superior mm. James Cameron uh, action film. But mm. I don't know, man. I, Aliens for me, hands down, because it is a film that once it gets going, finally, mm-hmm. it does not stop. 
it's one scene to the next to the next. It keeps going to the point where you are exhausted by the end of that film. And I know completely I different film, completely different, you know, team, different director. But as far as this franchise goes, I mean, it's hard to beat this one two punch. Right. And then I agree. I'm actually a staunch Alien 3 defender myself. Um, I have to rewatch it. I like David Fincher. I think it was his first. Ooh, David Fincher, you're right. Yeah. I think it, I'm pretty sure it was just music videos before this. Yeah. And if you get the opportunity to watch his original and then watch like the 2003 work print version where they reassembled mm. uh, a lot of scenes that were like in the novelization, but didn't make it into the film. Uh, there are some very, very different scenes in that version yeah. and it is absolutely worth the watch. And then if you want to get really adventurous with it, mm-hmm. uh, William Gibson, the sci-fi author who wrote Neuromancer, uh, was originally the, um, the, uh, the screenwriter brought on board for Alien 3. And mm. it kind of went nowhere. They went a completely different direction. And there's very little of his original script that uh, made it into the film. Interesting. Uh, that said... Dark Horse decided, hey, let's do a comic book based on the William Mm. Gibson script. It is bonkers. I don't want to tell you a thing about it, but if you get a chance to give it a read, it is very interesting. Um, It's it's bizarre. And I would would kill to see like an animated version of it. Uh, I I mean, it sounds like we're getting the Alien TV show sometime this year as well, which I'm really excited about. It's Noah Hawley, uh, which is great because of, you know, what he did with Fargo and uh, mm, Legion. That's right. I, I love yeah. Legion so much. Uh, but it sounds, it's weird because it sounds like it's set more in like the near future to our present. Mm, interesting. And it, if that's the case, I, I hope it's far enough in the future that it's beyond the Alien Covenant timeline. Because okay. otherwise, there's no aliens yet. Right. There's no actual xenomorphs. So, and I hate for there to be an alien show without xenomorphs. As much as it would be right. fun to see, you know, a story about you know the Wayland Utani Corporation in its early days. Mm-hmm. Sure, I, I I could get behind that, but right, you know, call it something else then, not alien. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Or, the Wayland you know, series. Yeah. Maybe explore some of the ties with Blade Runner because, you know, there's a little bit of that cross pollination right. going on too. Um, but mm. yeah. Um, dude, thank you for hopping on this, uh, this little podcast. This was tons of fun, man. Oh, this was a pleasure. And like, thank you so much for having me. I've been dying to do this all week. Like I said, and talking about one of my favorite movies, it's a no brainer, especially with you. Hell yeah. Ah, thank you. That's uh, the flattery will get you everywhere. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, that was tons of fun. And I couldn't think of a more perfect film for you. Uh, You know, the, the, the point of this podcast is not necessarily somebody's favorite scary movie, because Mm -hmm. if we don't say absolute favorite, then we can get guests on again. Right. That's Um, true. Yeah. So that totally works. Uh, Freddie, if you'd like, where can people find you? Uh, I'm pretty easy to find because I just use my name for everything. I'm at Frederick Newty for Instagram, Twitter. Um, if you guys want to listen to our podcast, Nightlight, a horror movie podcast, 
Uh, we love horror, so I mean, yeah. If you guys ever want to talk horror, I'm always available. Hit me up, <laughs> slide in those DMs. I allow it. Um, but yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. Dude, it's been a blast. Uh, this has been Murders with Mertens, a horror film podcast. Thank you for letting us tickle your ear holes. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe and all that. I'll be back soon enough with another episode, but until next time, stay spoopy, everyone. Thank you.